Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, founder of Megan Hall Motivation. I motivate and inspire women to create their own version of a thriving life. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories and chat about topics relevant to today's modern women. Don't forget to join our virtual community on Facebook, the Inspire Women Community. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Hi guys, today I'm here with Don Metter. Don is a military wife and mother of three with a progressive incurable lung disease. So Don, we actually did this recording before for you guys, but for some reason it didn't do what it was supposed to do and there was this white noise over it and I couldn't get anybody to edit it out. It wouldn't work. So we're redoing this and hopefully it's just as amazing as the first time as I had Don here. So Don was diagnosed with this incurable lung, lung disease and she had a very short window of time that she's supposed to be able to live and she has far outlived that diagnosis. So I thought it was, it's a great thing for her to share with other people who might, may not be going through the same thing, but similar diagnosis and show that there is hope out there that you can make it through. Like if they say you only have five years to live, they might not know what they're talking about. So Don, can you share with us a little bit about this lung disease that you have that's going on? Okay, what I have is primary pulmonary hypertension. It's a restriction in the artery between the heart and lungs, which causes the heart to work pretty much at a marathon race level, pretty much constantly, um, to get the blood pump to the lungs. Um, There is no cure for it. The only actual cure is a double lung transplant. And in many patients, they have to have a heart transplant at the same time because the heart has had to work so much that it's, like, larger than what it should be because, you know, it's a muscle. So when muscles work extra hard, they get bigger. And um, so, yeah, so eventually I will have to have a double lung transplant, possibly heart, or I'll have a massive heart attack. Um, when they diagnosed me, they told me three to five years was the life expectancy. That was 19 years ago last month. So I'm like way far out from what they expected and one of the few that have made it that far. So, yeah. But it hasn't been easy. Like, no, it's not. I mean, it's not, it's, you take all kinds of medication. Um, I started out on one kind of medication and it worked really good for several, several years. Um, after we moved here to Virginia, it's like the disease decided it was time to progress more. So I was put on a pump. So I have like a pump that I actually have to change medication every other day and change the site once a month. And, you know, inject it into myself. It's it's not easy. And on top of that, I take a handful of pills every morning and a handful of pills in the afternoon and a handful of pills every night on top of the medication that's being pumped into me. And the side effects from all these different medications is just a nightmare because there's so you take one pill to counteract the side effects of another pill. So it's just, it's a never ending process, really. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be 
really scary getting a diagnosis like that. So what was going through your head when you got that diagnosis? Well, at the time I had a five month old or a five year old son and a nine month old daughter. And all I kept thinking was, I want to see the nine month old graduate high school. Well, she graduated last year and is finishing, finished up her first year of college this year. So it, I mean, it, that was my thing was I just wanted to be around to be here for my kids and watch them grow up because that was my main focus was to be there for my kids. And now I have what was five-year-old and nine-month-old is now 24, 19, fixing to be 20. And we also have a five-year-old as well. So they keep me very active. <laughs> And it's not easy because you can't, with pulmonary hypertension, you can't do normal activities like everybody else wants to do. Like when the five-year-old wants to go outside and play, you know, I can't always go outside and chase her around in the yard or ride the bicycle with her or, you know, even just go for a walk with her because I get to where I can't breathe and my heart is racing and you know, I get on the verge of passing out. So it's just, it's not easy living with it, but you push yourself and you do what you can do as, as well as possible for your family. <laughs> because they're, you know, they're, they're my world. So I do what I, I can do for them to stay, stay with them, but actually do things with them as well. And you sometimes have to have some, like, really painful, like, you just had to have a heart catheterization, um, like, what was it, like, two weeks ago? And, yeah. I mean, that was, like, an all-day affair, and it, it really took a lot out of you. So what is that thing that keeps you moving forward when you're going through that? Because maybe somebody's listening, and maybe they're going through, like, chemotherapy, which I heard is, like, very tough on the body yes. as well. or going through some kind of surgery or something, or they have a progressive illness and, and they're like, I just don't even know how I can get through the day. Like, what is that thing that keeps you pushing forward through like those painful moments and those times that you're just like, Oh my gosh, this is just ridiculous. Um, my faith. I mean, I have total faith that God's going to get me through, you know, whatever is put in front of me. And that has been my anchor for 19 years is knowing that he's there, he's taking care of me and, you know, yeah, I'm on all this medication and cause I've had people say, well, you know, why hasn't he just healed you? Well, there's a reason for everything in life. I don't understand the reasoning for it, but I know God's keeping me going and, you know, taking care of me, getting me through it. So that's my main thing is just keeping my faith and knowing that God's going to keep me around. You know, I when I was diagnosed, my prayer was, let me watch that baby graduate high school. Well, she graduated high school. Now my prayer is, let me watch the next baby <laughs> graduate high school. And we uh, start kindergarten next fall. So we're we're doing good so far. For a lot of people, uh, their faith and whatever it might be, like, you know, whatever their religion is or whatever their belief is, seems to be that thing that goes first. You know, you want to blame, you want somebody to blame for what's going on. So that's the thing that goes first. 
versus holding on to it like you have to help you push through. And yes. I can I can imagine that when you got that diagnosis, like you needed something, you needed something to be your anchor to to hold on to and say, okay, this is going to happen. Like this is I'm going to push through. I have this this faith and I have this new goal and this new thing that I'm pushing towards. So it was, you know, originally that, that one baby you wanted to see graduate high school. And now there's another baby graduating high school. And I can imagine like going through something like that, that, that was a mindset shift because now you don't know what's around the corner and it might make you look at life a little bit differently. So are there some choices that you made that you may not have made if you hadn't had that diagnosis, but you made because you're like, life's too short, man. I'm not doing this. Um, probably not. I don't think I would change much if I could go back and change things because everything that I went through in the past brought me to the person that I am today. No, absolutely. I mean, like, did you make choices after getting that diagnosis that you may not have before you got it? You know, like, did you decide to do something that you weren't going to, you know, you hadn't decided to do? Or did you, you know, say, I'm not going to do this anymore because, you know what, I, I don't even know how much time I have and I'm not going to spend my time doing this thing that is just dragging me down. Um, no, I probably would have done this, made the same decisions even without the diagnosis. Okay. I know for some people it's like that live, have you ever heard that song, Live Like You Are Dying? decides like he's gonna do all these things because he's like I don't know you know what what's coming next so I'm gonna go do these things that I'm not gonna do anymore um so I can imagine like have you had any people in your life that that just can't handle it just can't handle like your diagnosis can't handle the medical um problems that come along with it like are there any people in your life I know when my mom um, got diagnosed with her. She has moye moye and all the arteries in the back of her neck have collapsed. The puff of smoke disease. So she had to have like brain surgery and she's had strokes and she's had seizures and she had a boyfriend that, you know, like her for the first time, like she had a stroke and before she knew about the diagnosis and she got diagnosed in the hospital and he's holding her hand and he say, I'll be there, baby. I'll be there with you. And like six months later, he was gone. Like um, he couldn't handle I, it. <laughs> I was divorced twice. <clears throat> and there were other issues that played in factor of the divorce, but the health condition was a big factor <clears throat> because they couldn't handle it. And they didn't really want to be there. I mean, you know, they played the part of the, the husband that was there, but when it came right down to it, um, I was living in Southern Illinois at the time and going to St. Louis, Missouri to see my specialist, which was two and a half hours away. And this is a lung disease that very few doctors know very much about. So however far you've got to travel, you travel to get to see that doctor. And each of them would complain, I don't know why you've got to drive that far. Why can't you just see a doctor here? No more than what they do. To me, it's my life. My life was on the line. I'm going to go see the best. I don't care if it's a 15-hour drive or whether it's a 20-minute drive. I'm going to drive to where I've got to go to get the best care. Yeah. And after a while, you could tell that, you know, they were just tired of dealing with it. And I just, I got to the point that I couldn't take it. So I had to get out for my own sanity because when you're being told constantly, you know, 
you just need to try this or you need to try that and you know physically you can't do those things you just get to a point that you just enough is enough however now I am remarried for the third time to my prince um the night we met our first date it was a blind date you know after the second divorce a friend of mine was like you need to meet this guy and I'm like what's his name oh it's navy j i'm like navy j why do you call him navy j and he's like well he's in the navy i was like he's in the navy and lives here in southern illinois what in the world is he doing in the navy in illinois well he's a recruiter okay where is he originally from from tennessee I'm like okay i don't know because i i was really reluctant because you know, two divorces, burnt twice. I was just, I had swore I was never going to get married again. I didn't want to get in a relationship. So I thought, okay. So we met up for a line date, went out to eat, got our salads, sat down at the table. And first thing he said was, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And I thought, I'm not hiding anything. I'm going to throw it out there. And I said, I am divorced twice. I have two kids and I have a lung disease that will either kill me or I'll have to have a trans lung transplant. <laughs> if you can't handle that, then we need to just call this friends and go on from there just as friends and leave it at that. And his response was, does the lung disease define who you are as a person? And I said, no. So, from there on, that told me, okay, this is where you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and he's been there for me. I don't care, you know, when he's, he's been deployed twice since we moved here four years ago. <clears throat> and even when he's deployed, he's here. Because he's staying in constant contact as well as possible. And asking, how are you, you know... If I've got tests or something that I'm going through, he's taking care. You know, he's right there ready for, hey, just, she's okay. She's out. This is what happened. And it, it's just, I mean, it's a struggle. And I know it's hard on him when he's gone because he worries about me and what's going on here at home and how I'm, you know, how I'm doing with all of it. So it's, it's, it's not easy, but we do it. That sounds like a really good man. I, I know I saw my mom go through one relationship after another, and so many of her her husband, she had, she's been divorced twice as well. Her husband's, I mean, my dad divorced her before this, but, like, her boyfriends and her husbands who couldn't understand, and she had to drive three hours, you know, each way one time just to go to a doctor that knew what, that when we lived in upstate New York. And, you know, all of this where people just can't, they can't handle they can't get out of their own little self for them and supporting the person that they're supposed to be in love with they're just like no this is inconvenient for me i'm not, i'm just sounds like you found a man who he, he doesn't see it as an inconvenience he doesn't even see it as a is defining you i love that part of this, your story i really do i'm like yes yes boy yes i like you you could be my friend uh, but I could, you know, I can imagine that sometimes it's a, it's a bit of a strain. He, you know, he's seeing you go through pain and go through these, you know, surgeries, but he loves you so much that he's, he's willing to be there with you. And, yes. you know, um, 
So tell us a little about, about your little daughter. Because last time we talked, I was like, so how did you have her? And you're like, I didn't. I adopted her. So tell yeah. us. I mean, obviously, she's your yours. So there's, like, no question about that. If anybody's, like, I'm, I'm one of those people who's, like, doesn't matter if you birthed them or if you adopted them. They're your babies. They're your babies. So tell us a little bit about how that came about. Um. He didn't have, my husband, my current husband didn't have any kids and I physically could not have any more. And, um, he wanted, you know, he, he wanted to be able to raise a child and both of mine were pretty much grown. So I was like, um, the only option would be surrogacy or adoption. We, you know, we, we prayed and prayed and prayed, you know, if, if it's meant for us to have a child together, you know, send a sign. We got married in August of 2011. At the end of November in 2011, I got a message from a friend of ours that um, a girl that was living with her daughter who was pregnant was they had decided to give the baby up for adoption. Would we be interested in adopting? And we were like, uh, yeah, you know, so we met them two days later. The following day, we started adoption proceedings. Um, January 5th, she was born. And um, we were there. We watched the delivery and as soon as she was born, she was placed in our arms, and she's been in our arms ever since. That's awesome. That's 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 amazing. It's like you said. It's just like a sign. I asked. I asked for this this sign to be sent to me, and it yeah. was sent to you. Like that. Yeah. That's just awesome. And it's it, most people are just like in awe. They're like, "There's no way that you know she's adopted because she's got my fat jaws." Uh, <laughs> She's got my husband's hair color. She's got his eyes, co his eye color. She has his Tennessee twang and has never been and lived in Tennessee in her life yet. And um, she has a birthmark in the exact same spot that my husband has. And so it's, it's just like it was meant to be. It was supposed to be. So we take it as that was. You know, God had a big hand in that one, and I know it, and He knows it. So, it is what it is. But I she's ours. <laughs> imagine having a little one at home with everything going on. That sometimes can be tough, like you said. Like sometimes you can't do things that that she wants to do. And how how do you explain that to her? Like, you know, how do you talk to her being such at such a young age? Um, we don't really talk about it. I mean, she knows, she understands, because she's, when I have to do my site change the once a month, I have about seven to ten days that I physically just can't really do much of anything, because I'm in so much pain, um, and pain meds don't even really, just barely even take the edge off of the pain, so I sit with lots of ice and hot, you know, heat packs and alternating heat and ice trying to get it to where it's not hurting as bad. Um, she sees that. She knows it. And she'll walk around and she'll walk over to me and she'll kiss my belly and say, does it feel better now, mommy? <laughs> so, I mean, she understands, but we don't really talk about it. Yes. So. 
So what does the, the future look like for you? Like what, what, what does that look like with, with this? Is it, you know, have they talked about the double lung transplant? Like when is that a decision that's going to be made? As of right now, I'm not severe enough to need one. Okay. Um, because the medication, um, somewhat has it under control to a point, but I'm still very limited on what I can do because it's still there. It's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's just one of those things you take a day at a time. You don't know, but you, I can't sit and focus on the, the outcome on, you know, down the road, this is what's going to take place. This is what's going to happen. Because if I sit and I do that, it gets depressing. Yeah. And scary. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so I try not to focus on that. Sometimes, you know, I have my moments when I'm like, okay, I don't know how much more of this I can do. I don't know how many more times I can, you know, shove this into my stomach and be miserable for a week at a time. I don't know how much more I can take. But I look at my husband and I look at my three kids and I'm like, nope, I can keep going. I've got to, you know, I... They keep me motivated. They keep me going. Um, if it wasn't for them, I really don't know how long I honestly would have made it. Because they are my life. They're my world. So, I keep fighting for them. It's like a one step at a time. Like one day yes. at a time. Gotta yes. make it till tomorrow. I got this. and I'll make it till yes. the next day. And... and when I, you know, I mean, I have friends that'll, oh, hey, let's go do this this day. Let's go do this next week. or, And then that day will come up and I'm like, hey, I have to make, break the plans because I'm miserable. I can't breathe today. Um, and I can't. And a lot of, most of my friends really understand because they've been around me enough to know and see, you know, when I'm miserable, I'm miserable. And so a lot of them don't get upset, but people that really don't understand, you know, they're just like, okay, I don't want nothing more to do with you because you can't do this and you can't do that. But for the most part, I mean, you know, I try to surround my people, myself with people that understand and are supportive of me. Yes. Yeah. We are, um, we have somebody coming on the podcast uh, her name's Shasta Nelson, and she is the author of Friend to Missy and Friendships Just Don't Happen. And in her book, she says, you know, it's got to be like this give and take um, kind of relationship. But if that person's really not invested in the giving portion of the relationship, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be willing to be understanding of like, oh, well, you can't make it this day. Um, exactly. If they're invested in that giving portion then they'll be understanding because they'll know there'll be other days. Like there'll be other days that you'll hang out and you're very, from what I've been told from our mutual friend, Casey McCoy, you have a huge heart. You're always willing to be there for other people. So, you know, if they're willing to just stick by for that, that time when you can be around, then they'll totally see that. But just some people, yes. they're just not willing. No. You know, it's inconvenient. <laughs> yes. You know? and, and there are lots of people like that, but, you know, like I said, I try to, those I try to just cut ties with because I don't need the negative in my life. I've got enough going on. I don't need other people dragging me down. <laughs> I agree. I agree. 
And how do you, how are you able to maintain like a positive mindset? Like what is, what is your, I mean, we talked about your faith. We talked about your kids, but is there like any, like one thought or any one thing that you think about beyond that, that helps you like push forward with the positivity every day? Like you're not one of those people that I see on Facebook, like, woe is me. My life sucks. You know, you're just very, like very positive. Um, Probably just trying to keep a positive attitude. I mean, when I find myself starting to get down, I'm like, no, 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 don't go there, don't go there. Because, I mean, that kind of thing is easy to put somebody into depression, especially when they have an issue, you know, a, a, an issue like I have. Um, it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to slip into depression. Um, and that just adds a whole nother list of issues that I would be having to deal with. And stress is a big factor that plays against people with pulmonary hypertension. So I try to avoid stress at all costs um, and just try to stay as positive as possible. I mean, when I feel, when I feel like I'm starting to get the woe is me feeling going on, I'm like, no, you know, and, you know, I, I start praying and it, it pulls me out of it every time. <laughs> so that's just, I mean, I, honestly, my faith is just what has kept me positive and lets me know, you know, he's going to get me through. I'm going to have my rough times. I'm going to have times that, you know, I don't understand why, but it's not for me to question why. You know, everybody goes through things for a reason. We may not understand it, and it may not be easy. But somebody is going to learn something from it, even if it's not you yourself. Somebody's going to be watching and see a positive out of it for their life. Yeah, you're probably an inspiration for many of the people that are in your life. They see you pushing through, and they're like, well, she can push through that. I can totally push through what I'm doing right now. Like what I'm going through. Uh, I think a lot of times I'm somebody that struggled with depression like pretty much majority of my life. And you have to have those certain things. Like you said, if it's praying, helps you pull through. You have to have those certain things that are going to help you. When you feel the darkness sucking you down, yes. you have to have those things that are going to like push you up and push you through. If there's one thing, because we're going to have to wrap up the podcast with our final five questions. If there's one thing that you want to leave people with about what you're going through and maybe they have a scary diagnosis themselves or maybe they're going through something. What is, what is one thing that you want them to know? Um, just stay positive, stay positive that, you know, there's, there's a brighter side everywhere. Um, no matter how bad your situation is, somebody else is going through something worse. And no matter how bad their situation is, somebody's going through something worse than them even. So, I mean, it could always be worse. Yes. In one way, shape, or form. Like, it may not be exactly yes. what you're thinking. Like, you know, yeah. somebody, somebody has a worse, um, you know, progressive disease than I have. But maybe they don't have that, but they have a progressive disease as well, and they have something else in their life going on. So it makes it, like, you know, compounded. So there's always that, like... I always say there's always somebody out there wanting the life that you're living. You know? Yes. So there's always somebody out there. Um, so we're going to wrap up with our final five questions. And the first one is, and I know this has become a buzzword, but if used properly, it's such a powerful word. I just, 
it makes me so sad that it's become such a buzzword lately. But what does authenticity mean to you? Just staying real. I mean, being honest to yourself. That I think that's, you know, if you're being honest and real with yourself, you're being authentic. Yes. Yes, I love that. And it's, it's very wonderful to see how varied it's it's like the same underlying message but how varied it has been for each of the podcast guests there's different like pieces to it that people bring up and i'm just like yes yes that makes a lot of sense so what is one way that you make time for self-care um it's just i don't really make time it's just one of those things that you have to make a point to take care of yourself you say that, but there's so many people out there that don't. <laughs> I oh, I know. I, I know for you that it's something that, for you, it's kind of like a have to. Because if you don't take care of yourself, yeah. you're going to feel worse. Um, yeah. For a lot of people, it's it, they don't feel worse until they it's gone such a long time without it that they're like, I think I need to do something here. What yes. What is going on? Um, so our third thing is, uh, what is one tip that you have for positive relationships? Um, be honest. I mean, to me, for the positive relationship, be honest with each other. Um, be open. Don't don't hold anything back. Let them know how you're feeling and what you're going through, and listen to what they're feeling and what they're going through. It's not just one side; it goes both ways. Because they may be going through something that they're not wanting to talk about or that they don't know how to talk about. And it's putting it, you've got to learn to listen to them as well as they've got to learn to listen to you. There's sometimes, um, I'm a very selfish person and I will admit that like it's, it's Megan time. And it was like about a month ago, my husband and I were having a discussion and he said, you know, you really hurt my feelings. You're being really selfish right now. Like, this is what I'm going through. And you don't even see that. Like, and I'm like, I I'm sorry. I didn't know you were going through that. You never told me you were going through that. So how am I supposed to know? Like, you know, I, there was, you know, signs, obviously. But, you know, when you're when you're taking care of four kids and a business. And then I, I'm not always as present as I would like to be with him. And so we had a discussion about, like, you know, if you're going through this, can you just let me know and then I'll be more conscious of it and I won't be like so selfish about like all of this stuff because I have no idea. So yeah. it was like that discussion and it's not easy, but with marriage, as you know, like you have to have those conversations or else it's going to fall apart. Yes. It's, it's just going to fall apart. And, and and sometimes those conversations, they're really hard. You don't want to have them, but they, you have to. You have to get yes. it off your chest and you have to be open and honest because it all comes out anyways. Yes. <laughs> it all comes out. I tell my kids that I'm like eventually everybody finds out about your lies. So just, exactly. just let it out. Um, so what would you say is your biggest struggle as a modern woman? I asked this question on with our last podcast guest and I said, think about like the the struggles that our, our grandmothers have are not the same as the struggles we're having. We have all this technology nowadays. We have all this stuff going on. There's so much awareness out there. Like, what is your biggest struggle, you know, as a modern woman? Um, 
really know. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what it would be. I know for me, sometimes it is to, I don't want to say to fit in, but to feel like I'm not good enough because like you have all this information in your face and you're like, but I'm not doing that and I'm not doing that. Oh, and I'm not doing that. And then you just kind of have to like get grounded and be like, I'm doing me. I'm doing what's good for me. But it's so easy with like all this information out there to get like wrapped up in it. Like when my mom was growing up, they had magazines, but now we have magazines. We have the internet. We have like social media and we have all this information coming out our face that sometimes we're just like, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Would you say that you struggle with something like that? Um, probably. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, with being sick, I don't work. I'm disabled. Um, and there's lots of times that I'm like, I need to be out working, trying to help financially around the house, doing things, but physically I can't. And so sometimes, I mean, that would probably be my struggle is because I get frustrated because I can't. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a waitress for years and years and I loved it, which a lot of people think I'm crazy because I say that, but I did because I'm a people person. I like to be around people and get to know people. And so for me, you know, I enjoyed it. It, it was just, you know, I got to be around more people and meet new people that if I hadn't been in that position, I would have never met them. And so I guess the one struggle would be, you know, that would be it is not being able to get out and be around people like I used to and actually be able to work and help financially around the house yeah, because, I, you know, I'm limited. I was a bartender for like many years and people are like, you like bartending? Yes, I loved people. I got to get them drunk. Like, exactly. it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I, there was only like, I mean, there was a couple of times I worked at some, uh, uh, there was one time I worked at a bar in a city and they didn't have the like a security guard or anything so that got a little dangerous and that wasn't as much fun but yeah, <laughs> I would say so and i had to quit but cuz a guy like threatened to stab me while i was bartending and they like didn't have like it's in a city and they didn't have like any it was just me like there was no like other person there and i'm like there really should have been like they should have had like a security yeah. person or something because it was, there was too many people going in and out and it was too dangerous to not have like backup for the partner. Yeah. I mean, the guy didn't get to stab me, but, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved bartending because it was so much fun. Like I bartended at a moose lodge, you know, um, which is like a VFW, those like membership yeah. kind of things. And it was so much fun because it was like the same people. It was like, you had the regulars that would come in and I, I just really enjoyed it. Like it was just, I'm an yeah. extrovert too. I like talking to people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's why I have a podcast. Um, so finally, our last question is what is one motto that you live by? Um, I have a lot of them. There's so many that I go by, but I guess, um, believe in yourself, believe that you can do, believe in yourself, believe that you can do what you don't think you can do. When you're to a point, know that you can push on forward, no matter how hard it gets. I, I guess that would be, yeah. I like that one. In 2014, I completed a Spartan race. Yes. 
here in Virginia in the mountains. Uh, so it's like, uh, you live in Virginia too. It's in the Wintergreen Mountains. That sucker is hard. Let me tell you what. And so like the believe in yourself thing, like that was me. Like every time I hit a new obstacle on the course, I was like, okay, I just have to make it to the next obstacle. I just have to yeah. make it to the next obstacle, which I imagine like life is, you know, kind of like that. Like we were talking yes. about earlier. It's like one day at a time, one step at a time. Like, and people got to realize when you're going through something tough, like don't look at the big picture. Don't look at like, like you were saying, you don't look at the big picture. Just look at like, what's that next step? What's that next thing I have to do so that you don't get yes. overwhelmed. I really like that, Don. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yay. I love hearing people's mottos because like we get such like a variety of them in here. Um, one of our podcast yeah. guests, Shauna Beckman, she was on here and she said, I saw your daughter's shirt and it says, uh, you could do hard things. And she's like, that's my motto. And I was like, that's awesome. So Don, thank you so much for not only coming on the first time, but be willing to come on a second time after our audio messed up on us. This, that's this was an amazing conversation. And I really think that people can walk away with, you know, you're going through something that's really tough. You, oh, you overcame a diagnosis. You, you know, are still pushing forward to this day. And then if they're going through something tough in their life, maybe it's not to that extent that they can see, like, they can push forward to. Yes. So thank you so much, Don. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspired Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.